Nylander in the Oilers off sharp angle. Shot, he scores! Here's Seabrook, great circle, fires, he scores! Oh, he's leveled by Andrew Shaw with a thunderous check. Here's a loose puck in front, they score! It's on! Shoot, he scores! The Cat connects with a one-timer. It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Keith will move it ahead to Shaw. To Doc over the Sabre line down the left. He scores! Kirby Doc! Here's Doc with the back and he scores! Kirby Doc! The first two-goal night of Kirby Doc's career. Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. Each game I'm getting better and pushing myself to strive to be better. That's hockey, baby! Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. I wish there was happier stuff to talk about. For a while, we thought there would be after the Blackhawks look real good in victories at Winnipeg and at Colorado, and they come home all set up to move to 500 into a three-day holiday break. And what do they do? They get absolutely smoked by a New Jersey Devils team that came in with the second lowest point total in the league, 500 record overall denied, and a real bad taste into that three-day break for the Blackhawks. I'm Chris Bowden, your pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio, joined by our post-game reporter and uh, WGN weekend sports personality, Joe Brand, among many other hats he wears. And hey, uh, guess what I got for Christmas? A cold. So please bear with me through this podcast. Uh, Joe certainly is doing that as we sit in our concrete bunker and we try to prevent germs from being passed along too much. But in the interest of uh, trying to make this sound a lot better, our good folks at FanList are our title sponsor, and we always do their read to share their information with you folks. I usually do it, but this time, a guy with a much better voice, Joe Brand. Take it away, Joe. It's a cold read for a guy who has a cold. Yeah, how about that irony? Uh, well, just wanted to let you all know, Blackhawks Crazy Podcast is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList.com slash Blackhawks Crazy, spelled F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. FanList partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and list tickets. Uh, it's for sale across all marketplaces all at once. Sites like StubHub, Vivid Seats, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many more. They do all the work. Multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, FanList is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, FanList charges the industry standard of 15% of the final sale price. It's the same rate that all those major marketplaces charge. There are no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you as a season ticket holder to sell your tickets. Go to FanList.com slash BlackHawksCrazy to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale. That's F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash Blackhawks crazy. Bravo. You learned the job from here on out. So you, uh, you, you, that was a cold read. Hadn't even seen the script before. I have, and he already did it better than I do all the time. So, uh, uh, fan list, again, thanks for, uh, having us as they are being our title sponsor here on the Blackhawks crazy podcast. Good job by Joe. Bad job by Blackhawks Monday night at the United Center. This was a lump of coal in the stocking. And this is indicative until they break this trend. I said this on the postgame show. This team breaks your heart. They tease you <laughs> and tease you like what we saw in Winnipeg and Colorado. 
games that heading there you don't think they're going to win and they play well. So you think, okay, this is the start of something good. But like so many other times against the likes of Nashville, San Jose to a lesser extent, um, uh, name another stinker, but there have been uh, some real bad ones for the Blackhawks, clunkers this year. And I think this one ranks right up there with the worst of them based on the way they looked in the previous two games and coming home against the team that they were facing. There was no doubt there was some degree of danger because, you know, you're patting yourself on the back for a couple of days and you're going into a holiday break. You're playing at home. There is a distraction factor, but seven to one. It shouldn't have been that bad, Joe. And uh, for the way they were playing in their two previous games, they should have come out of here with two points. I think Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times did the research that it was the worst loss for the Hawks at home since 2004. I mean, that says a lot. I know in a game like baseball, you get those random 15-2 losses or things like that. And hockey, there's a lot of randomness, too. But but that is, I think you put it best, a stinker. What's so odd, though, is... That first period was fairly promising. Jeremy Colleton called it a decent effort. But boy, this place was rocking at the anthem. Everyone was in a good mood for the holiday season. You know, I hate to fluff stuff up up like that. But it was true. And the team was coming into this game riding a high. We also do this a lot when we record the podcast. We take a few steps back and say, okay, look at the three games that were ahead. Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Colorado and then New Jersey, and you think, okay, you win two out of those three games, you're kind of fairly impressed and because you don't think the Colorado game is for sure going to happen, and then what do you know, the randomness of the Blackhawks and their inconsistency <laughs> come back from a deficit in Colorado and then come here and it's a totally different story against New Jersey. I don't know. I really liked the effort in the first 20 minutes. It was really physical. It was chippy. Uh, the Hawks were just flying. They really were. They, they were getting to their spots quickly. It looked like they had some structure and some flow offensively, but just hammering at the net. And then it was such a drop-off in the second period. And Jeremy Colleton alludes to why he think there was a drop-off. You'll hear from him in a little bit. But it was almost just a 180 turn. And you can't say that it was just Adam Boquist going down for the count. You You can credit those or rather the lack of players that the Hawks already have coming into this game is is still some of the problem but but there's no reason a team should have that much of a turnaround after an intermission after that that solid of a first first period well uh and we think that way going back to what you said about taking four of a possible six points in this three game sequence we think that way uh coming into this game because we are greedy and fans are greedy and unfortunately the Hawks didn't play greedy enough for 60 minutes I kind of sense that the momentum was changing late in that first period because after Boquist got hurt yes Dennis Gilbert went out and did his job once again Um, besides the goaltenders and I don't think you can hang very much on Corey in, in this performance and we'll talk a little bit more about perhaps some misunderstanding about his leaving the game we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit but besides the goaltender, uh, the goaltending uh, this season, I think the one piece of money in the bank that we've always gotten is Dennis Gilbert standing up for his teammates, and he did it again, just absolutely leveling Miles Wood, who was the guy who got Boquist, leveling Miles Wood, open ice on a clean hit. Good on John Hayden, his former Rockford Ice Hogs teammate, for, for going after him in a scrap, and he got the instigator. But the real sign of things to come, I thought, came on that ensuing power play when Hayden got the instigator. The power play all night, 0 for 7, 
after it had been fairly decent over the last nine or ten game sequence. 0 for 7, a total of eight shots. But on that, that turned into the second power play the Hawks had after that Hayden instigator. And they get an odd man rush the other way. Dylan Strom has to take a hooking call to negate that power play. And I think that just juiced up the Devils even more. And, and they brought their physicality uh, and their hunger to the game uh, to a, a little bit greater degree. And I, I kind of sense the, the momentum shifting there in the last, you know, five, seven minutes of the first period. They get the equalizer goal from Jack Hughes. And after that, Katie bar the door. And when it came time to... Jeremy Colleton desperately trying to push some kind of button. All he was left with, because the Stars weren't doing anything, the Hawks weren't defending well, they were outshot in that second period 23-8. to Here we go again with not being able to control the puck. And the only thing Jeremy could do, something he doesn't like to do, is pull Corey Crawford. So Robin Leonard goes in. And um, I, I couldn't blame him for doing that. And then there's some a little bit of post game back and forth about uh, someone seeing Corey gesture, and I guess Corey did admit that he gestured toward the bench in an attempt to try and change momentum, willing to come out of the game. I don't know how good of a look that is. Even though, yeah, I like Corey. Uh, I'd want to have a goaltender who wants to stay in there and fight through it. But nevertheless, that didn't even work at all. And it was a night after the first ten minutes or so where. Uh, it definitely got away, and and there wasn't there didn't seem to be one iota of, of fight back in in the least, and that's the that's the real distir- discouraging thing because when you look back on that game Saturday night in Colorado, that's when the Hawks seemed to ramp it up and turn it on and get physical, and that's what changed the momentum of the game. Even though they were down three one after two, the way they played that second period, you kind of had a sense that they were capable of making a comeback, which they did. And New Jersey just completely turned the tables on them Monday night compared to what the Blackhawks did to Colorado. And, and the fact that you say you know they they increased the intensity against Colorado. Keep in mind they were they were physical in the first period tonight. They were intense, but they weren't reckless. And that whole Dennis Gilbert thing, standing up for his teammate and Adam Boquist and, and putting the hit on Wood. It wasn't him with the instigating penalty like it was a few weeks back when he's trying to put some life into the team and into the building, and it just doesn't happen. I'm I'm kind of riding this new hockey wave where you don't need a fight to spark the team. Like, just, just get a spark your own way. Uh, a team doesn't need to get... To throw the mitts down and start fighting the bejesus out of somebody just to get a little ramp up on the team because I, I feel like good teams are able to, to work around that on their own, but I thought it was a... It was a conscientious decision. It, it wasn't reckless. It was a reason for doing it. And like you said, once Dylan Strom goes over to negate the penalty, that's just as much of a pump-up for New Jersey as it was not for the Hawks. It's it's another situation today, again, with the power play. It, it just seemed like a snowball effect. A, every time they would go to the power play, we hear Troy Murray, our, our co-worker, saying, this is a huge opportunity for the Hawks just to take the momentum back or turn it the other way. And Troy mentioned it, how New Jersey's so unique with their penalty kill because they just spread everyone out. They kind of cut off the Hawks because I still think the Hawks are, are so top-heavy with skilled players in the power play. They're always looking for the right shot or the right thing to do. And when you put that one-on-one pressure, it makes it difficult to get some type of flow, chemistry, offense going with that power play. And that's what I think handcuffed them the most today. 
And once they hit that rut, it's so hard for them to get out of, and that's exactly what New Jersey did. I think that's a big reason why they they couldn't generate anything with it. Yeah, I think the power play is kind of a microcosm of this entire team and how they perform because there are some nights when they're moving the puck well, where they score or not, it at least looks good, at least looks dangerous. And that was far from the, the truth on Monday night against New Jersey as four power play chances in the first period, another two in the second period, that second one capped off by a shorthanded goal by New Jersey, and Jeremy was so exasperated that at the end of that power play after the Devils scored that shorty, which was, let's see, um, 13 to, uh, 35 seconds in to the Blackhawks' power play chance, he puts Highmore, Kampf, and Smith, and Gilbert out there, among others. Like, all right, if I'm getting nothing out of you and they're even scoring on me, i, I got to try something else, even if it is third and fourth line guys. So uh, I think Jeremy's exasperation showed in, in that particular example. So, um, I, again, just, just a frustrating night all around and uh, kind of emblematic of what has been a frustrating season where, you know, now they go into the break without any kind of momentum. You could have stayed within three points of – Sixth place Minnesota, regardless, you were going to go in in the cellar. Instead, you're now five points behind Minnesota, and that climb becomes all the tougher. Let's uh, hear from some of the folks afterwards, and starting with the captain, Jonathan Taves. What was it for that one after coming up those two nice wins to kind of come up flat tonight? Just embarrassment. I don't know if that's an emotion, but I guess what we're all, we're all feeling and what we should be feeling uh, at this moment. So pretty tough, pretty tough all-around game. Not, not much to say. How maddening is the inconsistency overall this season? It's easy. Uh, fixable. I mean, we've said it for a while now, especially when we've had some you know, lackluster efforts in our own building that uh, you're going to have nights where pucks aren't bouncing your way and, and you know, you're, you're uh, maybe fighting it a little bit and legs aren't there whatever your excuse is we got to find a way to play through that and simplify our game a team came out hard in the first period and they stuck with it and we didn't we were right there in that game and then you know we got we got away from our team yet we've been talking about and, and really focusing on and i think we had two great road efforts where you you could say we played some pretty good hockey through both of those 60 minute games and and uh just fall off the horse again so um no excuses uh, just got to stay with it and be patient, hang in games, do the right things, and we didn't do it tonight. For the younger team like you guys, look kind of a opponent like this and see their record and think, you know, you got this because of what their record is and the fact that you're a home? I'm not going to blame our young guys if that's what you're saying. I think uh, it was across the board. It was myself. It was, it was everybody in our room wasn't good enough. So it's pretty clear it um, doesn't matter who you're playing nowadays in this league. You, you can't, even if you're, you know, feeling good as a team you come off a couple big wins you snow games where you can cakewalk and it just looks like that's that was our assumption tonight seven power plays came up empty what wasn't working there and just it's just reflective of our five on five play we weren't uh moving the puck fast enough we weren't uh working to get open we we're just kind of standing still watching each other we weren't moving the puck fast enough we weren't winning our battles they're beating us down ice, another big shorthanded goal, and I think that was maybe another backbreaker for us uh, midway through the game. Uh, they got momentum, and, and then they just uh, shoved that down our throat, and the rest is history. 
how, how do you want the guys to kind of handle this break? Do you want this on their minds and thinking about what For sure, for sure. I mean, enough's enough. we got to be... <coughs> We, we talked about being pissed off, and we can't keep letting this slide and, and just, you know, talk about the X's and O's like it's just another game. Um, you know, I think we showed a great example in these last few games on the road of, of how we want to play for each other, and that's got to be the standard. And, and again, we just completely got away from it tonight. And you know, it can take one or two guys out there that don't do their job, and then it makes it harder on the other three. So when you got all five guys that aren't really thinking on the same page, everyone's job gets tougher. And, um, you know, that was a situation tonight. So it's it's hard. Pucks aren't going to bounce your way. You're not going to be in the right position. You're not going to have the right timing if if everyone's off and no one's playing uh, with uh, the right commitment of those details. And, you know, everything fell apart tonight. There's the captain trying to explain away the same old things we've been. He's been confronted with the questions he's been confronted with uh, throughout the course of the season, and unfortunately, the Hawks. Uh, this felt like uh, one step forward with the two wins, two step back, uh, steps back with the one loss here because this is a real gut punch. Uh, Personnel wise, this was also uh, the game. I don't know featuring, but. Uh, <laughs> Not only do you have the Boquist brothers going against each other and both exiting within the opening minutes of the game with their respective injuries, and um, it, it just doesn't appear, according to Jeremy, that the Adam injury is anything serious. His brother Jesper left when he was apparently elbowed to the head or the face, and he did not return. So uh, it's going to be a very Boquist uh, family Christmas when they get together over the next couple of days. But this was also the game where the two guys who were traded for each other in the offseason, a minor deal, but uh, new starts for John Hayden, who couldn't quite get things together here with the Blackhawks. John Quenville, the same thing in New Jersey. They were traded for each other. And pray tell, Quenville gets called up from the Ice Hogs after a solid couple of weeks of work. And um, he wasn't even aware that they were facing his former team. Hayden gets an opportunity against his. And uh, whereas Quenville ended up with five hits on the night, he was throwing his body around. Uh, he played 8 minutes and 20 seconds. John Hayden played 8 minutes and 19 seconds. But he gets bragging rights because uh, he ends up retaliating on Dennis Gilbert. It doesn't end up hurting New Jersey. It may help them momentum-wise. And then with his team up 3-1, to one, he scores a pretty impressive goal on his shot and first of the year <laughs> against his former team, John Hayden. And that kid had to be happy. I, I think his teammates, P.K. Subban and all the guys who were giving him huge bear hugs after that goal that made it 4-1 were even happier for him. But then uh, that kind of leads to an unusual situation that, you know, some people noticed it in the press box, some didn't during the course of the game, about Corey Crawford apparently gesturing towards the bench. And, you know, then there was a little bit of explanation from Corey then afterwards. Yeah, you brought you mentioned it in the last segment too and put up your opinion about it saying you can reiterate it and speak for yourself, but... Uh, a unique situation. I'm I'm okay with Corey Crawford doing that just because I feel like he's an experienced veteran goaltender. He can feel out that situation. He he knows the backup is clearly capable of turning the game if needed. And also, he's he's one of the leaders on this team to help put a little spark into his team and, and light a fire underneath his teammates. So I'm okay with him doing it. Now, Jeremy Colleton said he didn't see it. He was going to make the move regardless. Um, you know whether or not that's true. I don't really think it matters because it seemed like everyone was in, in agreement that that a move was going to be made. And also, 
if Corey Crawford feels the need that he wants to get out, I don't, I don't want to keep him on the ice. If a guy is willing to leave, then then yeah, maybe maybe let's move, let's make a switch. Obviously, it didn't work out for the Hawks today. I don't. It wasn't solely Corey Crawford's fault today. It wasn't solely Robin Leonard's fault today. Plenty of blame to go around overall. Um, but I, I just think with all the circumstances that the Hawks deal with this year, it makes it okay for Corey Crawford to do that. Not saying it was the right move, I just think it's okay if he does that. Well, yeah, there was a whole lot of ugly going on out there, and you know the Hawks reverted back to what we've seen all too often where goalies are facing odd man rushes. Uh, left left out hanging on the clothesline there, and uh, even if if Corey was making that gesture and he openly says that he did, maybe it was also a case of all right, I'm I'm sick and tired of facing yeah. this because we've seen it all too much, all too often this season, and I can hardly blame him if that was part of his thinking, even though uh, he didn't come out and say that to some of the reporters. So. Uh, let's now hear from the head coach, Jeremy Colleton, after this loss. That's part of the conversation as well as uh, Adam Boquist's situation. He was asked about that fairly on here and uh, get some more of his thoughts as he shares his frustration. He said it after the morning skate. It's about taking steps, forward steps, consistently in the right direction. The Hawks seemingly made two big steps in road victories. They've simply become a better team on the road here lately than they are at home because they come home to face a very beatable team and they take a huge step back. So consistency, any chance that that lost heading into the holiday break? Here's the head coach afterwards. Um, not near uh, an acceptable level, of course. Uh, goes without saying, but uh, very disappointing with you know basically the last uh, 50 minutes of the game. We... Uh, we didn't give ourselves a chance. I thought um, decent start, and then uh, you know, obviously the power play weren't good enough in the power play in the first period when we had a lot of opportunities and um, got sloppy. I'd say the from the ten, ten minute mark to the five minute mark, they got a bunch of chances and ended up tying it. And then um, you know, second and third period, just nowhere near what we need to compete. And uh, very disappointing because I think we missed missed a chance to gather some momentum and uh, build on a couple of really good efforts on the road, and uh, you know it's a missed opportunity. You saw the update on Adam Boquist. Is it something where he could miss a little time, or not sure yet? Um, well, I, whether he misses a game or two, I don't know, but uh, it's it's a minor thing overall. What wasn't clicking with the power play tonight? Well. Uh, they did a good job. They pressured us hard, but we didn't make any plays. Uh, we had a reluctance to shoot the puck. Um, we just weren't clean. We weren't clean on the breakout. We weren't clean in the zone. And, um, you know, obviously we, we could have uh, built on the momentum we had early. And we give it to them. We give up a shorthanded goal. So uh, not not what we wanted. Corey said that he, he kind of weighed that maybe he thought coming out might help energize the team. Did, were you planning to take him out of the game at that point? I didn't see um, him wave, but we obviously we made that decision. Um, no one was good tonight, so there's uh, definitely not blaming anyone. Off those two last games, how do I mean, what went wrong tonight? What do you? I mean, how do you how do you guys sustain that? Well, I think uh, what we do on the road is we. We're sim- simple game and uh, work ethic for the most part has been really good and I don't know if we're, we understand we're going to have to be uh, simple and hardworking and competitive to survive 
and that's the case. But we've gone into some rinks that are pretty tough to win in against teams that are really good, and we just uh, we've grinded it out. And for whatever reason, we don't seem to be willing to do that at home, and we need to. That's the type of team we have. We have some skill, no question, but uh, we don't put, in our, put ourselves in a position to come through at home very often. Um, the success we've had at home is on back-to-backs. So you play back-to-back, you understand it's going to be a grind, and you just grind it out, and you're uh, willing to play 0-0 for a while. And um, At home, when we whether we're coming off uh, momentum of good performances or whether we have rest, it seems like we come in and we think we're gonna it's just going to happen. And that's obviously far from the case because our home record's really letting us down. I think our road record's been good enough. Our home record is um, nowhere near what it needs to be. I think we've been poor at home overall, no matter who we've played. Uh, we've we've played some good teams, and we haven't been good enough. Uh, and I I definitely would not point to the young players as being. Uh, the culprit they're part of it but uh, ultimately I think you'd be hard pressed to look in our lineup tonight and find someone who got up to standard first period was so physical and chippy do you think that had any effect on the rest of the game uh the, I think the only effect was that we had so many power plays and we didn't come through and so the guys who play power play played a lot and then we go down to 5d and took a momentum and, and certain guys just weren't very good after that so um, that's what I took out of it I don't think the chippiness of it had much of an effect but uh, I mean maybe they got energy from it but uh, we did not and the level play went down as the game went on we talked about consistency this morning how frustrating is it for you to run into this problem again where this would have really built something and built the momentum and you didn't come through yeah it's a missed opportunity and we should be embarrassed um, if we're going to make progress we, we can't you got to give yourself a chance to, to make progress I, I don't think we did that tonight we, it seems like we need to start over all the time um, and that's you know I've made the point in the games we've had trouble stringing shifts together well we have trouble stringing performances together so you, you just can't build any momentum we need to understand what kind of team we are we've got to work every day and when we do, we're, we're good enough, and we, we've shown we can get points, and we've had some, you know, big time character wins. But the work and compete's got to be there. You, you, you talk about compete consistent level a couple times this season after games. Is there anything you do differently as a coach to drive that message home? Is there something that isn't resonating with? We're going to keep trying. I, I think uh, players have responded really well at times, and then others we haven't. And so we we need to not accept less. Uh, both as a coaching staff and as a group. Uh, we're in it together, the players and the coaches, and we're going to continue to have discussions about what what is, the, what is the button that we need to push to bring it every night. Um, until we find it, we're, we're going to be in this one step forward, one step back, or two steps back type of situation. So um, that's where we're at. Slapshot Questions. Tweet your questions to the guys at Bowden Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one for your questions to be read on the podcast.
Hooray, I remembered this time to hashtag Slapshots out on Twitter reminding everyone uh, because I didn't remind myself in the last episode to do that, to take uh, your questions. And uh, people, uh, before this game progressed into the manner that it did, uh, although we got a little, some snarky questions uh, as, as the game started unraveling. Uh, we're in a very holiday mood, uh, very cute and quirky. So uh, let's get some of those out of the way. Our friend Margo uh, suggesting we sing Christmas carols on the podcast to brighten the mood a bit. Uh, thanks, Margo. But no, we don't want that to happen. Uh, our buddy uh, John Esker at Fox 32, uh, he must have gotten sick of me reminding everyone to take sla- uh, do hashtag Slapshots questions. Um, Asking us, uh, we have both worked with John, Joe and I, uh, so we know him. Uh, his very serious question was, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? And um, uh, my answer to that was uh, 1,316. Are you in the, about the same neighborhood of that? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, are we doing prices Right rules? Because then I, I'll go with two if that's the case. You in a car. And uh, so thanks, John, for... Uh, Providing uh, lightening the mood a little bit here because there are some serious questions we have to get to. Um, Frank Steven asking us if the moon were made of cheese, would we eat it? I would. Um, I, if it, uh, everything except Limburger, I think for my. Do you have preferences? Yeah, t- typically Mun- Munster, but to to quote uh, Will Ferrell, played by Harry Carey, or vice versa. Heck, I'd have seconds. Okay, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, green cheese or Swiss cheese uh, the moon is made of. Amy, uh, who would win a fight between Dennis Gilbert and Chuck Norris? My money these days is on Dennis Gilbert. Besides, Chuck is a little up in age right now, so I don't think there's any question of the answer about that. And then finally, Heather, uh, what are you asking Hockey Santa for Christmas? And uh, kind of tying into the theme here tonight, Blackhawks consistency, please, and good type of consistency. Can you put a string together of 10 or 15 games the way you played in Winnipeg and Colorado? All right, uh, to a couple of the more serious ones. Uh, our friend Katrina. Um, and, and thanks for the uh, thanks for the Christmas treats and, and presents, Katrina, member of uh, the neighborhood up in Section 318. Losing is one thing, but this decimation, how and why? Well, I wish there was an easy answer. I don't think the guys in that room necessarily have the answer. But if anyone, uh, they're the ones who should have it, the coaching staff and the players, because seeing flashes of what this team can do and is capable of is extra aggravating. And not to have the focus and the discipline to come out every game uh, you know, uh, just makes this whole situation even more maddening. And yeah, you're down a couple of, of key players to injury here, but nevertheless, um, if, if there's any way to gain a little bit of consistency here, the way they're doing it now, this is another third straight postseason uh, where the Blackhawks are going home right away. And changes, I have no doubt if that's the case, will be made. And um, and it, it, not only to the roster, but, but probably elsewhere in this organization as well. So the fact that they can only show flashes of this and not being able to repeat it against a pretty vulnerable team, grad one with nothing to lose, and that came in with an attitude and the chip on their shoulder, they have to be way better than that. It's totally fair to say that this is the worst game that the Hawks have played this year and maybe in a couple of years. Whether or not it is, this is the least justifiable game, I think. There, there's nothing really you can pull from. the fact of Just the fact of how different this team was from the first period to the second period, number one, shows how inconsistent they are. Number two, shows that 
they're capable of playing well against bad teams at home. They're capable of playing good good against good teams at home. They just cannot, for some reason, glue it all together. And Jonathan Taves can't explain it. Jeremy Colleton can't explain it. I, I think it's a mixture of effort and the right mix. And until they figure it out, it's just going to be the same type of frustrations moving forward. It, there's a lot of fear and doubt with the power play. And there's a lot of fear and doubt with just putting together the correct lines and, and keeping them that way. I know that's a question we'll get into later too, but there, there's a whole lot of blame to go around right now. And um, th- that's why I think Hawks fans are totally, totally in the right to be totally down and out about this team right now. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from, uh, he goes by ZS on Twitter, how much of this is a coach and system versus players executing, or is it a little bit? Of both. Well, when they do execute what the coaching system implements, as we saw in Winnipeg and Colorado and a home game against Minnesota and winning three of four, um, you see they're capable of executing it. And they even did it against one of the teams that gives them the most type of difficulty in Colorado, which absolutely smoked them for three games. And you see what they did Saturday night in Denver and not being able to carry that over from one game to another against a team that they simply should, that's a matter of executing. Because Jeremy talked after morning skate in trying to build this consistency. It's shift to shift, putting your team, your teammates in a better position when they take the ice, better position than you were as, as uh, you know when you took the ice, whether it's 30, 45 seconds ago. And... Too often, they have not been able to do that, and it leads, leads to these extended extended times in their own zone. And to see that happen Saturday in Denver and then just poof, it to disappear is just uh, is just mind-boggling. So I'm of the mind, if, if, if they show it sometime against a team that they have, the greatest, have had the greatest difficulty against this season, they should be able to show it at just about any time if they're focused and buying in and know what they have to do if, if uh, you know they're capable of executing it previously. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's, it's, it's one or the other every game. It's, it's, it can be a combination of both, but it really does just seem like one or the other. I mean, we've, we saw some good efforts from I, – I thought John Quinville had a decent game today. I know he had no shots on goal but five hits. He kept himself uh, in a lot of plays, kept extending t- opportunities for the Hawks in the zone – uh, but nothing came of it. We've seen the team respond to some changes from the coaching staff, and both positively and negatively. And the other thing is you go back to last year. I mean, it, it seemed like it took a while for this team to, to understand and really dive into what Jeremy Colleton was preaching. But once they did, the team kind of took off. And you can make the argument that they made a lot of improvements this offseason. And in the effort to benefit Jeremy Colleton's coaching strategy a little bit more. Not to mention, they've got the best goaltending duo, arguably, in the NHL. And the fact that the consistency still hasn't come this season just shows that it's a mixture of both. Uh, Jonathan Tave said it today, too. One or two guys get away from playing the team game, and then it's the other three that are trying to catch up. And that's veterans, that's young guys, it's everybody. It's just a matter of everybody not pitching in or, or providing the same amount of effort every game. And when your only offense comes from Zach Smith, um, the the Smith-Camp-Highmore line, you're asking for trouble. And kudos to Taves, Kane, Kubalik, a couple of the other guys who 
came through big uh, in those two victories last week because they were a big reason. Uh, you know, they had big nights. Taves, you know, coming into Monday night with 12 points in his last eight games. You know, Patrick Kane, 36 points in his last 26 contests. Kubalik, uh seemed to have found a role on that line with uh, Taves and whoever the other winger is, in this case more recently, Patrick Kane. And he should be productive if he's on a line with those guys. But then there are nights when you get absolutely nothing out of them. And, um, you know, these are champions, but... They're also being heavily relied upon in this current state of the Blackhawks. And when they aren't giving you enough production on a certain night, I'm not saying the, it rests squarely on their shoulders because you can go up and down the lineup after an effort like this, and there are a lot of uh, fingers you can easily point. But they need those guys to consistently be counted on to produce. And, you know, even even the cat, Alex Dabrinkit, he had those three straight games with goals, but that is now part of a – 22-game sequence when he has scored only those three goals. And, you know, Dylan Strome probably needs a little bit of an offensive push as well here. So, you know, you need everyone pulling in the right direction, especially against the Devils team that comes in 30th in goals scored. They score seven. 30th in goals against average. 21st on the penalty kill, below 80%, and you go 0 for 7 on that. Finally, um... Kind of a mystery lately involving Brent Seabrook here. A healthy scratch in last Wednesday's game against Colorado. Then he does not make the trip to um, Winnipeg and Colorado for what the team uh, then later describes as medical evaluation. It rushes people to the conclusions that he's ticked off about being a healthy scratch and you know is considering options or whatnot. On the other hand, I'm hearing from other people that there are definitely some medical issues he's getting checked out at this point. So uh, Mojo Joe Joe uh, on Twitter, is Seabrook close to coming back? And is there a spot for him when he returns? And uh, my answer to that is I'm I'm not sure um, how this is all going to unfold, whether it is something legitimately from a health standpoint. I I guess we have to believe that for now until we get some clarity on it. But uh, I think there's always an opportunity for him to come back. Other guys have stepped up. Connor Murphy's been a definite warrior. Duncan Keith's been great since he came back. Uh, Adam Boquist, we don't know how long he is going to be out. Eric Gustafson, you have an opportunity there if Gustafson has the kind of defensive game, quite frankly, that he had on Monday here against New Jersey. If he's not producing offensively and Boquist is available, um, you can slot Seabrook into that spot. And Dennis Gilbert has been doing everything asked of him right there. Olimata, a younger guy. So I'm going to be interested to see whether he has a spot here. Yes, I think there is a spot, but I don't necessarily think it may be a regular spot. And if that's what it turns out to be, Brent's going to have to figure out how okay he is with that. Publicly, they're saying you know he is handling it well, but... On the other hand, I can imagine a guy of his ilk, uh, especially with how he is regarded in the room, um, you know, uh, having a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after what's happened here with three healthy scratches officially here so far this season. I'm with you. With the timeline, this whole thing is gone. I think we're led to believe that he would have a spot to play by the time he comes back. Uh, with it starting being a healthy scratch, and, and we're talking about this go-around earlier in the year this had happened, and he and the Blackhawks had expressed their displeasure, and by the Blackhawks, I mean maybe a few of his teammates. 
Um, but yeah, you go from a healthy scratch to yeah, there are some physical issues, and you know this is well. Last year really is when the Hawks started to become more specific about injuries and, and not do the whole hockey upper lower body type thing. It's just a very interesting circumstance with Brent Seabrook, and now the fact that you know Stan Bowman is getting involved with this on when the announcement is going to come uh, for him just. It, it really kind of brings out the intrigueness of it. You know, what is this about? Where are Seabrook's thoughts and emotions about this whole thing right now? And, and what is the future of Brent Seabrook? And clearly a, a Blackhawks legend, a guy that will, you know, has an opportunity to have his number raised up in the rafters, has done so much for this team's dynasty in the 2010 decade. Um, it, it's probably going to be a very interesting ending to Brent Seabrook, no matter what happens, just just because of of the past year or so. Yeah, and a lot of people are, are speculating how those healthy scratches um, trickle down into the mood of the room. And yeah, yeah Taves and Keith and Kane absolutely love that guy. Um, but Jeremy's explanation while they were on the road was. Boquist has been playing well. Keith himself said he likes playing with Boquist. He's he's getting kind of energized and he, and he likes being playing the mentor role. We know what Dennis Gilbert has provided here. As those young guys get opportunities, those shouldn't be automatic givens. They're going to have to keep proving themselves to remain on the ice. And the minute that they don't, that may open the door up for Brent if he still wants to be here. But regardless of how the rest of the guys feel in that room, it's the coaching decision and We've seen, without Brent on the ice, and this is no slap at him, but what the team could be capable of doing with Boquist and Gilbert out there in those two games in, in Winnipeg and Colorado. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, not only that, I think it's beneficial for the Blackhawks to see what the defense looks like without Brent Seabrook because the, the future is eventually not going to have Brent Seabrook, whether it's one year, two years, three years, whatever. Uh, so I think it's beneficial to, to give the younger guys a chance when the opportunity arises it's itself, not saying that it has to be right now or not, but that's going to be beneficial for the Hawks in the long run. Yeah, yeah. so an interesting thing to keep an eye on. We won't probably have anything more about that until Friday morning at the uh, earliest because uh, I wouldn't anticipate any announcements during this, this Christmas holiday break. But uh, when they report back on Friday from morning skate against uh, ahead of the game against the New York Islanders, perhaps that is the next time we'll gain any potential further insight into uh, the Brent Seabrook situation. Again, four more years left on that steep contract, uh, a very difficult contract to move, even if Brent were perhaps ready to move on. There may be, you know, if it ever got to that, you know, a requirement where the Blackhawks would probably have to throw in some perks eat some of that salary, and uh, we'll see how it, uh, in the end, plays out. So uh, that's where we stand right now uh, on the Seabrook situation. Unfortunately, we stand with the Blackhawks on a downer note heading into this three-day holiday break after a 7-1 loss to New Jersey. The food probably won't taste as good for the players over the course of the next three days. It'll probably taste a whole heck of a lot better for members of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, what do you got planned uh, over the holiday break here? Just uh, family stuff, laying low, chilling? Yeah. Pretty much uh, doing some wedding planning too. That'll yes. probably eat up most of my time. <laughs> oh. He's got he's got Christmas presents and wedding presents to prepare for. So uh, 
That's uh, that's right around the corner too for Joe. Right after the uh, start of the new year, and yeah, I'll probably do the same. Lots of uh, liquids and rest here to try, try and get healthy <laughs> for Friday. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll try to sound a little bit better on Friday night. Thanks for bearing with me here. As always, we thank you for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast, presented by FanList. Thanks as well also to Curtis Koch, our producer, and Ernie Scatton for his intros to slap shots and to the podcast in general. We're going to come back at you. Uh, we're going to uh, have two games between now and our next podcast. We're going to try and shoot one to you next Monday morning, following the Friday game against the New York Islanders, and then the Blackhawks head off for a two-game trip. And it starts on a Sunday matinee, a 4 o'clock start against the Columbus Blue Jackets before they move on to a New Year's Eve date in Calgary. So Joe and I will record uh, a fresh podcast after Sunday's game against Columbus. We'll tweet out hashtag Slapshot uh, Reminders for your questions to answer on that particular podcast. And we'll have it out for you Monday morning so it has some uh, some uh, leeway between the time the Blackhawks finish up against the Blue Jackets. We'll see what their record is after two more games and then before they uh, take the ice on Tuesday night, New Year's Eve in Calgary. As always, again, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you have a, a peaceful, restful, good time with all of your respective families. Happy holidays to all, and we will talk to you on Monday morning. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!